0: If you would like to learn more about our church, you can find us at connectedtojesus.org or check us out on Facebook at Cross Connection Church Houston. We pray that this teaching would grow you in the grace and love of Jesus Christ our Lord. study through the book of Hebrews. We have studied through the first 10 chapters, which really are, are focusing more on doctrinal truths. The author's been making the case for why Jesus is a greater person than any person in Judaism, why Jesus is a greater high priest than any high priest in Judaism. And the author is going to finish the book by making the case for uh, why Jesus has a greater purpose in our life than anyone else. And in these final three chapters in the book of Hebrews, it's kind of this Shift from doctrine to application. There's a lot more uh, applicable truths. There's a lot more of how we should live now that we've seen that Jesus is greater than anything. You know, what do we do? How do we live in light? of that amazing truth. And this is really a common pattern that we see in books of the New Testament. Typically, the author in the first either half of the book or the first majority of the book you know, starts with doctrinal truths that we really need to understand. And then he finishes the book with, okay, well now how do we live in light of that? How do we apply those things to our lives? How do we live for Jesus Christ? And so you know, when you're given a lot of challenges, that you're commanded to personally apply to your life, like the challenges that we'll see in Hebrews chapters 11 through 13, there's a truth that is an essential thing to understand. I think a truth that's so important before you start to apply these commands to your life, a truth that I'm sure many of you have already known, been encouraged by in the past, but a truth that I think we often forget Or a truth that we just, you know, stop putting into practice, uh, when we're trying to live out what God has commanded us to do. And I think it's just a great truth to be reminded of or just a great truth to hear for the very first time as well. And so this morning, I want to share this truth with you before we continue our study in Hebrews, before we start getting into all these practical challenges that the author wants us to apply to our lives, and we feel kind of the weight of that as we're thinking about how we do all these things. This truth, I think, is just such an important thing to to understand, to be reminded of, to grasp as we move forward in that. And so this morning, uh, this tr- truth that we're going to look at is something that is just so important because it really reveals what God has given to us in order to enable us to apply his commands to our lives. And so it's something really important for you and I to understand before we seek to do that, uh, to grasp these truths. And a great thing to remember, and I've said it before in the past, but God will never command you to do something He won't empower you to accomplish. And this is something that we have to just remember. God's not going to give you a command that he's not going to give you the power to complete. And so this should hopefully encourage you that, you know, sometimes we look at things like loving your enemies or something that's just really difficult, and we convince ourselves, oh, I just don't have the ability to do that. And so this morning, what we're going to look at is the reality of, yes, you do. Yes, I do. God has given us what we need to follow the commands that He's given to us. And so this important truth that we're going to look at this morning is in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 and 4. And so let's start by reading those verses. As His divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness, through the knowledge of Him who called us by glory and virtue, by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises, that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. So in these two verses, Peter gives us three wonderful encouragements. Three encouragements that reveal to us what God has done for us. Three encouragements that we need to know that will help us apply the challenges, apply the commands of God's Word to our life. Now, the first encouragement these verses give us is that God's divine power has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Something important to note is almost all the challenges that the Bible gives us can kind of be placed under the banner of living a godly Life. For example, when we're challenged with an area of our life that needs to change, that the change that we're you know looking at is a change that will help us live a godly life. When we're challenged with how we should live in different relationships like a marriage relationship or a parenting relationship or, or some kind of friendship, we are ultimately being challenged of how we can live a godly life in those relationships. When we're challenged with sins that we need to stop doing, that challenge is to remove those sins. Why? Because they're hindering you from living a godly life. And so when Peter speaks of life and godliness, one of the main things he's referencing is just living a godly life, which is something that encompasses the majority of the challenges that the Bible gives to us when it gives us commands that we are to obey. Now what Peter reveals here about living a godly life, hopefully to you, I know it is to me, a huge encouragement. He tells us God's divine power has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. And I just want to break this down so that we really just grasp what Peter's saying here because it's such an important truth that should help you recognize what God has given you to help you do what he's called you to do. So first Peter says God's divine power. You know, power is something that in our world, lots of people are interested in. We are entertained with watching characters that have superpowers. You know, you look at the biggest blockbuster movies of the the last several years are all Marvel movies, you know, dealing with, you know, individuals who have these special superpowers, whether it's super strength or super speed or, or some kind of, you know, super ability that makes them more powerful than others. And, you know, you have these people. People that watch these movies and then they get into these debates as to you know which one of these people are, are more powerful. Is it Captain Marvel? You know, is it Captain America? Is it Thanos? Is it whoever? You know, uh, but the reality is these are just fantasy characters. They don't really exist, and therefore they don't really have any superpower at all. But there is someone who is real that has an even greater power than the superpowers that are in these Marvel movies. He has divine power. God has limitless divine power. His divine power is so powerful that He can create things out of nothing. You know, in the book of Genesis chapter 1, this is the the amazing thing that we see. God just speaks, let there be life and light and boom, there it is. God speaks and planets are formed. God speaks and, and these things are made, the power that He possesses. You know, as we look through the Gospels and we see the miracles of Jesus, we typically think, "What amazing power! The power to take a blind man and give him sight, but the power to take a dead man and raise him back to life." But you know what's even more powerful than healing a person—it's creating that person from nothing. Charles Spurgeon has something to say about God's divine power. He says this: "Divine power." What stupendous issues are grasped in that term, divine power. It was this which dug the deep foundations of the earth and sea. Divine power, it is this which guides the marches of the stars of heaven. Divine power, it is this which holds up the pillars of the universe and which one day shall shake them and hurry all things back to their native nothingness. Something that you and I need to understand is there's no power anywhere close to God's divine power. Satan's power is nowhere close to God's divine power. You and our power is nowhere close to God's divine power. If we were to take all the power of every single person to ever exist and combine it all together to make this superpower, it still would be nothing in comparison to God's divine power. God's divine power is so vast it really is kind of beyond our ability to fully comprehend it. But you know one thing that we can comprehend is that it's the greatest power in the world. Nothing can match it. Nothing can overcome it. And Peter tells us that God's divine power, this greatest power there is, has given us something. And since nothing is more powerful than God, if God gives us something, there's nothing powerful enough to stop that from coming to you. God in His power gives you something. Satan can't stop it. Other people can't stop it. Why? They're not powerful enough to. In His divine power, He has given you and He has given me something wonderful. And the real encouraging thing is, well, what is it? What is it that God has given to us through His divine power? Well, verse 3 tells us, He has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. So here we have two great words from Peter, and those great words are all things. Notice he doesn't say God gives us most things, some things. He says, no, all things that pertain to life and godliness. So what Peter is telling us is that everything that pertains to life and godliness, everything that pertains to living a godly life, God has given to us those things by his divine power. So the greatest power that there is, the the power that created everything out of nothing, he has given you and I everything that pertains to life and godliness. And so when you're challenged in a particular area to live a godly life, when you read through the Bible and you see the challenge to to share the gospel, you see the challenge to love your enemy, you see the challenge in uh, what you should do as a husband or a wife, when you see the challenge to resist sinful temptation, this is such an important encouragement to remember. God, through His divine power, has given you everything you need to apply those challenges, those commands to your life. And this means that there is nothing that God hasn't given us to live a godly life. And I think this brings up a very important question that we just need to ponder for a moment. If God has given me all things that pertain to living a godly life, are there any reasons why you and I can't live a godly life? And I want you to think about that for a moment. Do you think there are any biblical reasons for why you can't live the godly life that God has told you to live in his word? The answer to that is no. No. There are no biblical reasons for why you and I can't do what God has called us to do. Now, as a pastor, I've heard a lot of Christians share with me what they feel are reasons for why they can't do you know, a certain command here or another thing there. And so they'll share with me you know, this reason or that reason. And you know what? I've been there. I've had those excuses, those reasons myself that I feel for this reason I can't do what God tells me to do in this area. But the reality is what I or you or other Christians feel are reasons for why we can't live a godly life are not reasons at all. Not biblical reasons. They're just excuses. There are no biblical reasons for why Christians can't live a godly life. Why? Because we've been given all that we need to live a godly life. So there's no reasons, but there definitely are excuses, and we got a lot of them. When we're faced with challenges from God's Word, instead of applying those challenges to our life, we so often respond instead by making excuses for why we can't apply them to our life. Excuses that, oh, well, this is just too hard. I don't know how to accomplish this challenge. I don't have what I need to accomplish this challenge. I don't have the time to do this. Oh, that challenge is just for pastors or, or people in full-time ministry. That, that's not for me. You see, there are a lot of excuses for not living a godly life. But one of the things I want us to understand is that's all we have our excuses. We don't have any biblical reasons for why we can't do the things that God commands us to do. And notice Peter doesn't say that it will be given to you in the future. Or it might be given to you if you're good enough. Notice he says it has been given. Speaking of past tense. Well, when was this divine power to live a godly life given to you? Given to me. It was given to us the moment that we put our trust in Jesus Christ. At that very moment, the Spirit of God and all the power of God indwells us. And at that moment, God and His divine power gives us all things that pertain to life and godliness. They're available to you. They're at your disposal. They just need to be discovered. And then they need to be used. So we need to learn what we've been given by God and then we need to learn how to use them. Think of it this way. When a baby is born, everything that they need for a living, physically speaking, uh, was given to them. It's all there in that little body. It was all given to them at their birth. The problem is that the baby, they don't know how their body works. And so they got to discover those things. But it doesn't need to find some new body part to stick on. It doesn't need another eye. It doesn't need another nose. It doesn't need another arm. The baby has everything it needs from birth. The only thing the baby needs to do is grow and learn how to use what it's already been given. It doesn't need more. It just needs to discover what it already has at its disposal. Once it learns how to use its arms and legs, it can learn how to crawl and walk And feed itself. And the same is true for us spiritually. When we're born again, we're given all that we need that pertains to life and godliness. But part of that problem is we're just ignorant like a baby. We just don't really know how to use those things. And so it's not that we need spiritually, you know, some extra thing here or some extra thing there. No, we have everything we need. We just need to learn what we have. We need to grow in what we have. And then we need to actually start using what we have because it's all there for us, So I think an important question to ask is, how do we grow in things that pertain to life and godliness? Well, verse 3 tells us, through the knowledge of Him who called us by glory and virtue. The one who called us by glory and virtue is Jesus. So how do we grow? How do we grow in these things? It's through the knowledge of Jesus Christ. You know, it's discovered in the knowledge of who Jesus is, in the knowledge of what He's done for you, in the knowledge of what He wants to do in and through your life. So everything that we need has already been given, and it's discovered in the knowledge of Jesus and what He's done for us. Charles Spurgeon wrote this, It's through knowing God that we realize that His divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness for all these things are in him and as we know him trust him love him and become like him we also come to possess all these precious things in him something so important for us to understand is all that we've been given that pertains to life and godliness has a direct connection with knowing Jesus intimately with knowing Jesus personally This is why spending time with Jesus every day is so important. This is why you can see if you've been walking with God for long enough that the the times where you have those stretches, whether it's weeks or months of years or where you have a daily encounter with Jesus Christ, you see a difference in the way in which you live. Time with Jesus helps us to live like Jesus. Time with Jesus helps us to see what's at our disposal. Time with Jesus helps us to realize what God has given to us, and then we seek to put that in practice, and we start to live the godly life that we should. But when we neglect time with Jesus, the opposite happens. We start to recognize, "Wait, I'm not living like I should. I'm not doing these things. I'm not taking advantage of what I've been given because we're neglecting that important time that is so necessary because we need to grow in our knowledge of Jesus which helps us discover what we've been given by God to help us do what God's called us to do. You see, the reality is there's only one person who's ever lived a perfect, godly life, and that's Jesus. And so if you want to have victory in your life, if you want to overcome the sinful temptations that you struggle with, if you want to live a godly life, well, guess who you want to be like? The one person who actually had victory all the time the one person who never sinned, the one person who is the perfect example of doing that. And the more you spend time with him, the more it will enable you to be like him and live the life that God wants you to live. So this first encouragement that Peter shares with us is God's divine power has given you everything you need to live a godly life through the knowledge of Jesus. And I just want to encourage you to remember that. As we go through Hebrews, as you read the Bible on your own, you're going to come to challenges in God's Word, some that are quite significant and difficult. And sometimes you're going to, just in the back of your mind, think, well, I could never do that. That's way too difficult. That's way too hard. You know, love that person. No way. God, you don't understand how hard this person is. You know, let all those things subside. And remember this truth. God has given you all things that pertain to life and godliness. He's given you everything you need to live a godly life. And so those are just excuses. Those are just lies. Those are things to try to hinder and keep you from doing what God's called you to do. And don't believe them. You can accomplish the challenge because God's given you everything you need to do it. The second encouragement that Peter shares with us is in verse 4. It says, By which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises. So here's another wonderful thing, another wonderful encouragement that that Peter reveals that God has given to you and to me. He says he's given to us exceedingly great and precious promises. A promise is an assurance that something will be done for you. And Peter's telling us that God has given us many promises, many different assurances of things that he will do for you and things that he will do for me. But notice how Peter describes these promises from God to us. He says they're exceedingly great and precious. What a wonderful way to describe the, the promises of God. These are not just great, they're exceedingly great. These are precious. These are things that you should hold and value greatly because of it. Charles Spurgeon writes this about the exceedingly great and precious promises of God. Many things are great which are not precious, such as great rocks which are of little value. On the other hand, many things are precious which are not great, such as diamonds and and other jewels, which cannot be very great if they be very precious. But here we have promises which are so great that they are not less than infinite and so precious that they are not less than divine. So you and I have an assurance from God that He's going to do exceedingly great and exceedingly precious things for us. Now, a promise is only as good as the person who is giving the promise to you. I'm sure each one of us have experienced at least one person in our life where they promised that they would do something for us or promised they would do something with us, and then they broke that promise. And what happens when someone breaks a promise and breaks another promise and breaks another promise is we don't believe their promises anymore. You know, they've shown themselves not trustworthy when it comes to what they're seeking to assure us of. And so their their promises mean nothing. They don't hold any weight in our life because we don't trust that they'll actually do them. And so a promise is only as good as the person making. it. if you trusted the person making it, it's going to come through, that promise has validity and value. But if you don't trust, you know, the person could promise, I'll give you a million dollars, but you know they're broke and there's no way they could do it. And, you know, they have no intention of doing it. And so that promise is nothing. And so it's only as good as that who gives it to you. And this is why the promises of God are so amazing, because God is not only so amazing, but He's so capable and powerful and able of actually giving us what He promises to give us. So the next time God promises something to you, let that encourage you. Now there's a place that we find promises. Oh, that's great, exceedingly precious promises. I love promises. Where are they? Where do I discover them? Well, they're discovered in God's word. His word is full of wonderful promises. You know, a man by the name of Herbert Lockyer, he written a a book called All the Promises of the Bible. Now, in this book, he states that there are 7,487 promises from God to man there's more promises than that in the bible there's you know over 8000 that he claims but he says specifically from god to man he's counted he claimed 7487 now i will say i have not counted all the promises of god from god to man in the bible so you know i don't know if this is fully accurate or not but let's just say he's off by 100 or even off by 1000 or even off by 2000 that still leaves over 5000 promises from god to man which is such a significant Amount. And let me just share a few of the promises from God to us in the Bible, just to remind you of the wealth of encouragement that these promises bring to us. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If you confess your sins, God is faithful and just to forgive you and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. If the Son makes you free, you are free Indeed, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away because all things have become new. As far as the east is from the west, that's how far he has removed our transgressions from us. God will never leave you or forsake you. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. My God, shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. God gives strength to the weary and increases power of the weak. All things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Now, I only just listed 10 promises from God to man. That means, according to uh, Herbert Lockyer, are still 7,477 more. The Bible is just full of amazing promises that God has given us. They're definitely exceedingly great and precious. Now, it's important for us to remember the reason why we have these. Well, what have we done to earn these promises? We haven't done anything to earn them. Well, why is it that we receive them? Why is it that God would want to give them to us? 2 Corinthians 1.20 tells us, For all the promises of God... In him, speaking of Jesus, are yes, and in him, amen, to the glory of God through us. The reason that God gives these promises to you and to me is because he's giving them through Jesus. When you are in Christ, and the only way you're in Christ is if you have placed your faith in Christ, then you become in Christ. And one of the wonderful benefits of that is not just salvation, which is an amazing benefit, but also all the promises of God are now given to you, and to me. We have the amazing blessings of God's promises, these exceedingly great and precious promises, they come through Jesus to us. So it's not that I have to do something to earn them, do something to, all right, Lord, now that I've been such a good Christian for this last week, give me these promises. No, they're available Not because of how good or bad you are, but because of how great Jesus is. And that is one of the wonderful blessings that we have received because of what Jesus has done for us. And sometimes we think, well, well, that promise just can't be for me because, man, I've had a horrible week of giving in to temptation. Or or you don't know what's going on in my life here. You don't know what I've just done. And we kind of think, well, uh, I have to earn it. It's this merit scale. When I'm good enough, then the promises come. And when I'm too bad, then God withholds them. But it has nothing to do with earning them because we never could. We could never earn or deserve these promises. They're given to us just like salvation as a free gift because of Jesus Christ and our relationship with Him. So, the second encouragement that Peter gives to us is God has given us exceedingly great and precious promises through Jesus. And once again, I want you to remember this encouragement. The next time you're challenged, in God's word, to obey a particular command, remember the promises that are at your disposal. Remember what God promises you, what he's given to you, and it'll just help you understand that, you know what, because I have these exceedingly great and precious promises, I have what I need to do what God has called me to do. Corey Tenboon, many of you are familiar with her. She and her family hid Jews from the Nazis in a Wall in her house. This is her as an older woman, and in the house, and that wall that's opened up is where they hid Jews. But they were ultimately caught, and they were thrown into a concentration camp. And when Corey Tenboon got out of the concentration camp, she shared that she and her family had a secret—a secret that helped them get through the horrors of the Holocaust, a secret that helped them get through the horrors of that concentration camp. She said the family members would quietly ask each other. What do you have in your shoe, Mama? What do you have in your shoe, Daddy? What do you have in your shoe, Betsy? And the answer was precious portions of Scripture that they had torn from their Bible and that they had hid in their shoes. They would hold on to those and hold on to those truths and that helped them as they went through all this horrific torture and all the stuff that they had to endure in those concentration camps, those exceedingly great and precious promises Help them get through that. But you know what? We have the same scriptures. We have the same promises available to us today. And the great thing is when we hold to them, they help us get through those horrible times, those difficult struggles, those things in our life that we just need to remember the promises of God and what he's given to us. Even though our circumstances might not seem like it, we can remember and trust in what God has told us he promises to do. The third encouragement that Peter shares with us is at the end of verse 4. It says this, That through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. So Peter says, through these, speaking of these two wonderful encouragements that he's just given us, that God's divine power has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. And that God has given us exceedingly great and precious promises through Jesus. So through these two things, we can be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. This is such an amazing thought here that Peter brings to us. You know, Before you and I accepted Christ, we had a sin nature. And because of our sin nature, we were bound to the corruption, the sinfulness of this world through lust. But you and I accepted Christ. Something amazing happens to us. We're given a new nature, a divine nature, a godly nature. This is why the Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians 5.17, If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old things have passed away. Behold, all things become new. You see, the way for us to escape the corruption of the world was that we needed a new nature. That sinful nature, that thing that drove us and and kept us bound to the corruption and the sinful things of this world, we needed that nature to be changed. We needed to become a new creation and that's something that when we accept Christ happens to us and it gives us freedom from the thing that we were bound to and enslaved to, which is our sin to this world. So, the third encouragement that Peter gives to us is God has given us a new divine nature through Jesus to help us escape the corruption of the world. Now, the amazing thing is that with a divine nature, you have everything you need to live a godly life. With a divine nature, you have all the promises of God at your disposal. And that's why Peter says, through these promises, through this ability to live a godly life, we may become partakers of the divine. Nature. To partake of something means to share in it, to take part in something. And the question we need to ask ourselves is are we going to be partakers in what God has freely given us? Are you going to partake and utilize the promises that you've been given? Are you going to partake and utilize all that God has given to you through His divine power to live a godly life? You see, it's there for you, it's there for me, but we have to partake of it. We have to utilize it. Alexander McLaren wrote this. We may have as much of God as we will. Christ put the keys of the treasure chamber into our hands and bids us take all we want. If a man is admitted into the vault of a bank and told to help himself and comes out with one cent, whose fault is it that he's poor? God has given us everything we need to live a godly life. God has given us exceedingly great and precious promises. God has given us a divine nature. But you and I have to partake of it. We have to utilize it. We have to take advantage of those resources. And if we don't and we find ourselves not living a godly life, not obeying God's word, it's not the fault of God. It's the fault of us. He's given us everything we need. The reason it doesn't happen is because we're not taking advantage and utilizing and trusting in and relying upon all that's at our disposal. So as you're challenged by God's word, remember these three wonderful encouragements of what God has given to you because they reveal that God's given us everything we need to apply his word, to obey his word, to live a godly life. And so if you and I are not living one, If we're not applying God's word, it's not because we don't have what we need. It's because we're not utilizing what God has clearly given to us. Please understand that for every command that God gives us in his word, he gives us his divine power, his divine promises, and his divine nature to enable us to do them. And that's the wonderful truth. God doesn't command us to do things that he doesn't empower us to accomplish. It's like, here's my divine power, nature. Here's my divine promises. They are for you. They're available to you. I will give you all you need to do what I call you and command you to do. You have everything at your disposal. Just trust in it. Rely upon it. Walk in it. And watch how I change your life. Let that encourage you this morning. Let it give you hope that, you know what? I can live a godly life. I can apply these difficult portions of Scripture. I can overcome the sin that's been a nagging struggle in my life for so long. God has given me all I need. I just need to go partake of it. Watch then what His divine power, what His divine promises, what His divine nature does to enable you to live the life He's called you and I to live. Let's pray.